us. It focuses on us and the ones that are the very object of his desire for love, who he's going to love and share this mercy and grace with. So if you again, turn with me to verse 21. And you, who once were alienated, hostile in mind, doing evil. So this idea of alienated, alienated is this isolation, this loneliness, a deep sense of not belonging. I told you my position at Central is to allow people to belong. And there's nothing greater to share with somebody that is looking for that kind of community than saying, this is a place that you can belong. This is a place that you can find community. This is a place that you can be accepted for who you are, but we'll share a lot of what Jesus wants in my life, in your life, but at the same time, you can find a place that people love each other here. That's the, you belong here. But alienated means you don't have a place to belong. You're isolated. You're lonely. You don't have a place that you say is, I feel comfortable in my own skin. I feel comfortable that I'm here. I know everything about myself. You're alienated. And our alienation from God is due to two things. First, on God's part, he's completely holy and has settled wrath against all sin. So it says in Romans, right, the wages of sin is death. So we all deserve to die because of the wrongdoings of not following what God has in store for each one of us. And because he's so holy, it means that we're alienated from him. He cannot be associated with sin. So he sees and knows the sin in our lives, but it causes that distance between us. And we're alienated from him. We don't belong with him. We have that loneliness. We have that isolation, the incomplete without being part of him. Now, on my part, on our part as humans, we have within us an inborn selfishness and pride which causes us to ignore God who's created us and desires us to pursue his ways, but we pursue our own. So there is an alienation because God is holy and cannot fellowship with me in my sin, but there's also this uh, uh, us kind of going against that because I want to be my own king. I want to be my own person that makes my own decisions. And we've caused this alienation from God and separation. But if we go further into the text, it's just, that's just one thing he says. Then he says there's hostility in the mind. Hostile is not a term of endearment, right? It's, it's, it's a term for enemies. We are enemies. We're hostile towards God. No one is neutral ground with God. We are either submitting to God or you're opposed to him. And then it says, our, or for us, our thinking before God needs to change, right? Because our wrong thinking leads to wrong actions, and those wrong actions lead to further wrong thinking, and it's a vicious cycle. So what we think causes us to then see in our hearts what we're actually all about, and then it comes out in our behavior and our actions. So we see that in our doing evil deeds. Our actions before God needs to change. But when we look at the scripture and we look at that one verse, if we are really self-reflective and really evaluating ourselves or knowing ourselves well, these words seem really harsh, right? Am I really that person that's that bad that I'm alienated? Am I really that bad that my mind is hostile towards God? Am I really that bad that I'm doing evil, evil deeds? I think that we like to do this thing where we'll start saying, yeah, I'm not as evil as the, those people that are really bad out there. Think about all the people that are shooting people on the streets or are murdering people or raping people or doing horrendous things of genocide around the world. I'm not like that. I'm not like that person doing all these terrible things in the neighborhood or I'm not... So we start building this thing of that, I'm not that bad. And what that does is saying, I'm not that bad, builds this thing of, if I'm just good enough, 
If I start doing these things, then my good outweigh my bad, and then God will love me, accept me, and do all the things that I hope in being part of God's family. But that's all pointed again to me. What I can do, what I'm trying to accomplish, what I'm trying to do to settle these debts with God. And this idea of not being good enough, I'm not that bad, and we compare these ideas of evil is ex- extremely against what Scripture is telling us and especially what we're, the idea of what this verse is talking about. Because no matter what level of sin, we do know there's different weight on the sin that is, is broken before God and what we do in breaking each other here in society. Even laws will say that on the different things that will happen to you if you murder, what levels of kind of jail time or even life imprisonment or even the death sentence for you. So there's different levels of sin and brokenness in our laws, but what is neglected is anything that breaks this relationship with God makes us broken before God. There's not one person better than the other in the eyes that will say that I'm good enough for God. The only thing that will answer that brokenness is what Jesus will do, what we'll see in the next verse. What Jesus is going to do for us in giving us life. And until we come to that point of understanding that that's the main idea of what Jesus is trying to say to us, what Paul's trying to say to us, we're always trying to make a comparison. We're always trying to say, I'm, I'm good enough, aren't I? I do enough to be accepted by God. I do a good enough job of fitting in this church, right, and the other Christians that I'm good enough. But the gospel will tell us that you're never good enough only person that's good enough is Jesus. And what he does in our lives gives us new life and new hope. And we'll see that we're called holy, blameless, righteous in sight of God because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And what does that have an impact for us? But one of my favorite uh, kind of apologetic kind of speakers, etc., is Robbie Zacharias. And he'll say this, Jesus Christ did not come to make bad people good, but to make dead people alive. He didn't make people, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He had people understand that they were dead to their sin, and he was called to bring them alive. And when you have that vantage point of understanding that God has given us life, how much different is our attitude towards him as well as others around us? It's not just trying to prove to God that I'm good enough for you, God. It's understanding that I've been given new life. I've been given a second chance at life, and how much you want to share that life that we have in God with others. How much you want to enjoy that life with God and give that to other people that also need to enjoy that. So we want to make sure that this idea of how we're going to become alive in Christ isn't about what I can do, but what God continues to do in us. And also to note real quickly about this passage, that sin begins in the mind and works its way outward, right? We are hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds, Thus, dealing with my sin is not just a matter of cleaning up my behavior, but it's cleaning up my heart. My wife and I uh, just celebrated 10 years of marriage. And yeah, thank you. And it's been a, a long journey and a hard one, but one full of ups and downs, right? Celebration and joys of the children that God's given us and the children that we've lost in miscarriage. But then at the same time, just in our marriage ourselves, like knowing that when I try to correct behavior of myself so that I will feel loved by my wife, there's often a lot of times deeper things that need to go for me, right? Because if I just change my behavior of I'll clean up a little more and then my wife will love me, I'll vacuum and I'll leave the vacuum out so she sees I vacuumed. (laughs) 
And then she'll ask me, why do you have the vacuum out? I vacuumed. Why didn't you put it away? But that aspect of needing to know deeper, why am I doing those things? And why are those things important? Not just for me to get her love, but to understand how to love my family, how to love what God has in store for us, what does it look like together, and the deeper things of not just correcting behavior issues, but to go deeper to the heart. That's what God wants from us. Not just the idea of change this evil deeds, because some of us might not even label them as evil, because everything we're doing, again, would separate us from God if it's not falling along with what God wants for us. So there's sins of commission and omission, things that we're neglecting in God's word to say, go love the poor, go serve others, go love your neighbor. But there are other ones that say, don't lie, don't steal. But all those together, if we just correct behavior, we're not correcting the heart of what God wants to do in transforming it. One of the greatest things about Paul's letters, too, in Ephesians, it says not just to stop sinning, it says do something useful, too. And later on, look at Ephesians, if you have time, look at Ephesians 4 and 5. It talks about if you have hands that are stealing, don't steal anymore. It's not just stop sinning. Go do something useful with your hands, right? If you use your mouth to break people down and sin in that way, don't just stop making fun of people or breaking people down. Build people up with your mouth, right? So do something useful that God's doing to transform that work in our lives. Now, how that has all intersected in my life, I I remember as kind of understanding this alienation and this separation, I wouldn't have used those words. My parents did grow up in Taiwan. They came here in the late 60s, and they had all three of us kids here in the U.S. So I'm second generation, uh, Asian American or Taiwanese American, and knowing that I grew up in that kind of immigrant kind of family, I knew my parents would always have this mantra for us. We're here to build a better life for you (laughs) through education, through different aspects, and the idea of how to live in that, and that, that road and that path was just to, to, to be good, to follow the rules, follow the instructions, follow the things that mom and dad want for you, follow the rules of society so that you can follow that path. And I remember very clearly my parents would always kind of say those things, just be good. They didn't know what that meant. They would say what's good is just be generous to others, be kind, don't lie, have integrity. So if you would ask me, are we alienated? Are we separated from God? I didn't know what those words meant. They seemed way too harsh. We didn't do evil deeds. We actually did really good ones. But we didn't know the separation that we had from God because everything was about ourselves. I know I lived as a young person or a teenager that lived completely for myself. I lived as one that I wanted acceptance from friends. I wanted acceptance from others. I wanted acceptance from my family. So everything I would do, if you would call me, if people asked me, what kind of animal would you say you were self as those icebreakers? I would say I would be a chameleon. I would go deep really fast because I'd be a chameleon to adapt to everybody else because I'm such a people pleaser. And that's what I was as a teenager. I wanted so much to feel accepted by others that I would become a, a different person to everybody that I was with. But in that heart issue, I realized quickly that I was living for myself. I didn't live for God or anybody else. And if I tried to do something kind for somebody, it was so that I would get recognition that I was a good person, right? So the idea of what I was doing in all this was never a recognition of that I'm separated from God, that I'm not good enough for God. So finally, one day, someone invited me to a church retreat, and someone laid out clearly the gospel, that I cannot do anything to earn my own salvation, and that sin has corrupted my life and my body, 
I am born with a sinful nature, that I have a bend towards sin rather than God. And the only way that I can be brought back into relation with God is through Jesus. And at that point, I knew clearly that God was calling me to himself to recognize that I was a sinner, that I was broken, and that I needed Jesus. And knowing that news is something that God continues to confront with me on a daily basis, even now, as a pastor, as someone that has gone through this journey, even with remembering back to that retreat day 20-some years ago, and knowing that God is still doing that work in me, but knowing that positionally he sees me, as we'll see in the next verse, holy, blameless, and above reproach, because that's, he sees Jesus through me because I've accepted him in my life. So the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, this is our second point for today. The gospel is the good news which shares with us what Christ did to answer that bad news. We talk about that bad news being that all of us deserve death. All of us deserve to die. And Christ endured and suffered and was beaten, mocked, persecuted, put to death on the cross, and he didn't deserve it. We just came off Easter kind of celebration in April here. And the idea that that rugged cross, that that symbol of death, is something of beauty because of what he did on that cross for us something that brings such beauty and peace to our lives because he reconciled to himself in his flesh and the death that we all deserve in sin. He took all of that sin, not just me and yours, but all of humanity's, and he put it on himself on that cross. And he did it so that in Romans 6.45 it says this, we were buried therefore with him by baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of Father, we too might walk in the newness of life For if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection like his. So the idea that Jesus died, that's not the end of the story. He died to all the sin. He sacrificed for all of us to be the substitutionary act for us. But Jesus conquered sin. He rose from the dead. And that brings us to that hope that we can have in him that we'll talk about in the hope of the gospel. But in knowing what God has done in answering that that bad news, He's given us that good news of dying on the cross for us. He laid down his life, as we see in that verse 22. But more in that verse 22, he's now reconciled in the body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. So in order that, he's bringing us before God, especially in the end times, we'll see that Jesus is going to present us before God, and he'll, we'll see that we're image bearers of him that he'll show us to God that all that he is is now reflected in our lives, pure, blameless, holy, above reproach. But what about here and now? We know that that's to come, and we're talking about all these future hope things, but does God do that now in our lives? And the beautiful thing that as we walk with God in this understanding of what it looks like to have a relationship with Jesus, he's refining us in that fire, fire, right? He's making us more and more like him. And this idea of hope, of what he's doing in our lives, is a desire to make sure that we are image bearers with those around us. And in the idea of holiness, holiness is to be set apart. We're presented as ones that are different than everybody else. And unfortunately, again, as Christians and those that believe in God and say that they believe in God and they believe in Jesus, the world wouldn't say we're different anymore we're just the same or even worse. How do you love your neighbor? How do you love and demonstrate the things that Jesus is calling us to live by? Are we truly being the holiness of the church that God wants for us? It says in Ephesians, the idea of holy and blameless is actually given to the church. 
he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or anything such things, but she should be holy and blameless. So the words used here as an individual is also matched with the church. Together, are we demonstrating that we're holy and blameless before others? And again, that doesn't mean that we're sinless because we continue to sin as humans on this side of heaven. But are we reflecting God's image to those around us that they will say we're set apart? And those that are transparent and open in us, open about our own brokenness and how Jesus needs to fill that up, that's where we are able to be accepted in community and society. When they see people that are authentic and desire to be living like that rather than perfect and sharing with people on how we're sitting in our ivory towers, that's how we make a difference in this community and society when we're living with how Jesus wants us to live. He wants us to be living holy, but not pretending we're perfect. Eric and I actually, we went to a, a kind of a documentary showing in this area. Uh, actually, Annie came with me as well as Eric's wife, Jen, came with us too. So we were all sitting together watching this documentary called For the Love of God, Is the Church Better Off? Uh, than, is it worse than we've ever imagined or better than we've ever imagined? And the idea of the premise of the, vid, the, the, the documentary, the movie, was to help people understand that Christianity in itself should be living for these values, but we haven't always reflected it well. There are times when we've been worse, the worst in society. Think about the Crusades. Think about other things. And when we see these things that are confronted to us as a church, just admit them. Be humble enough to say we have not reflected well who Jesus is. But there are times when the church has done a beautiful job. So the documentary did a great job of giving both sides where the church has been one that has helped with poverty in certain parts of the world has helped with people that are struck with diseases and, and the kind of uh, being marginalized by society. So how do we wrestle with these things as the church? And the illustration that was given was uh, the person kind of sharing the story said that box cello suite, uh, suite number one, is a masterpiece. And he said, listen to this concert cellist play this piece. And he was playing and he's playing. He said, now what happens if I, who have never taken a cello lesson, played this piece? And he started playing it not very well. And he would say, for all of us, we can still recognize that cello suite one is still, by Bach, is, is a masterpiece. But the delivery of it is what is causing the, the earache, right? So for us, as deliverers of this message, are we being true to the masterpiece? And for those that are still judging the church by the, the messengers rather than the masterpiece, are we seeing that Jesus has a masterpiece for us that says that he loves all people. He loves those that he wants reconciled to himself. He wants those to come back into the fold. Do we recognize that masterpiece and then are we delivering it correctly as Jesus intended? The last point this, this morning then is this idea that we were alienated, we were separated, we were so far from God, but Jesus died on the cross that we could be considered holy, blameless, and above reproach. But this all is with the hope and the desire that God has for us to stand firm, stand stable in the hope of the gospel. Because again, we're going to wade back and forth in the world where we just see so much pain and suffering. Look at the world kind of just, either, even just through weather, the pain that people are, are, are having through earthquakes, through tsunamis, through just natural disasters of losing loved ones, tornadoes here in St. Louis or even in Missouri. Just the idea of those things bring devastation into our lives. And then cancer, health issues, health concerns. Where's our hope? 
And the idea of what God is saying is, hold on to me, because every time you're facing those kind of difficulties, you'll see those that hold on to me find their comfort, they find their peace, and they'll find full rest assurance that God is right there beside them. And it will lead them to a better place, a place that will see full reconciliation with God in heaven. And that hope of the gospel, as we see further, God will show us that we're supposed to stand firm in this hope. And what does that standing firm look like? When, the, when Jesus was, uh, when he died on the cross, the disciples that were there, and as well as the women were, that were there, they all scattered. The next day, the women are the ones that would go to the tomb three days later. And when they saw an empty tomb, what a symbol of hope for them. It had been building up for 300, 400 years of prophecy that someone was going to come and be their savior. And Jesus, as he was walking the streets, was that momentum that said, here he is, and then he was gone. Hope was extinguished, extinguished like that. But then when the woman that went to the tomb and saw the empty tomb, hope was reignited. They would go back to the home, and the, the men that were all there, the disciples that were kind of cowardly and just ran away, heard again this glimpse of hope that Jesus is alive. And then when Jesus would come and surround them and meet with them and say that, I'm giving you guys second chance, Peter, feed my lambs. He would break bread with them and be with them, disciple them and watch over them before he would leave up to heaven. They were all ready for this new hope of what the gospel would bring. And as we see in the early church, the hope would drive them to all the different places that they needed to go to share this good news. And today we're seeing that same movement all around the world. And we are hoping that God would reinvigorate us here in St. Louis as well as this nation, that God would see a revival because we're humble enough to know that the good news continues to bring life to us. And all he wants us to do is stand firm in the hope of the gospel, that the gospel can change and transform lives. And if you don't believe that, I would ask that you just hear testimony and stories of those within the church, those people that continue to walk side by side with God, relying on him through pain and suffering and hardships, not just the good times, but the ups and downs of life. You'll see Christians that are holding on to this hope of the gospel and what a great witness it is to God. So with that, we're going to close, but if you would just spend some time just praying and thinking about that, what does it look like for us to recognize that God is doing that work in us and how are we going to be image bearers of Christ to reveal what he's doing in my life? And if I don't have that relationship with Jesus now, am I living to be good enough? Or am I realizing that I'm dead and need to be alive? And I need this Jesus that's going to give me life. So if you spend some time just praying, just asking for this hope to be reignited, and the hope of the gospel will live strong. Father, thank you that you would love us so much, that you would send your one and only Son to die for us, 
that we can be reconciled before you through his death, that we know that we were alienated, separated. We had nothing to do with you because we were doing evil. But Father, would you draw us near to you, showing us that as you present us to yourself that we're holy, blameless, and above reproach. But this is all so that we can stand firm in the gospel to share with others that need to know your truth that is filled with the love that you have for us, that we would love those outside of ourselves. We thank you and we praise you because you have given us this message of hope. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.